Welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where we talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. I'm Em. And I'm Glenn Roy. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottom. Bottoms up. up. Hey, sis, in the beret. You giving us a little. Right on 22, 22, 22. Right. <laughs> How are you doing? What's good? Going good. That's good. Um, Y'all know I'm out here doing the school stuff, but a queen's got to be a queen, got to be a queen, right? <laughs> so that's still happening. Um, it's been a long day, okay. but I'm pushing through, I'm powering through. Um, hopefully soon it will end and we can go to bed to get my beauty sleep to start tomorrow again. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean... I'm going to go in your business because you want right there with me. I know that is my, <laughs> that is how I do things. So first of all, the people in Guam with the MPhil, you know, PhD journey, where we at with that. And then we're going to talk about some other things. I'm going to feel, I want to talk about it, but I got to ask him. Right, you don't even want to talk about it, but I got to ask him. True Glenn Rice now. Well, um, Oh, yeah, true, because the last up, the last update with you was like last last semester or something. But anyway, I am on my way on my way to candidacy exams this semester. So you know we're not talk about it, and that's really how we them put your children ring off and make sure stay, you know what you're supposed to know. So you can become one PhD candidate. Right? So it's a, the next milestone was supposed to come by the end of this semester. So Watch, listen out in this space, and y'all will know. <laughs> so, if you don't hear me, if you don't hear me on the podcast again till after me, or the dose today, that's a couple of times. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. I was sitting at foreign for a reason. There right. you go. All there right. You go. Okay, and you know, you know, I'm gonna ask for now. Let me ask where you ask. <laughs> <laughs> Any new developments you want to share with, with the people? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so you know, you know, all made a comment um on Twitter about the doop app and <laughs> the experience. <laughs> <is> that... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got that from this from this um Canadian Jamaican queer TikToker. Um yeah, so the the, the doop app I go through it and make my rounds and you know do what I'm supposed to do. Um I get two options one night. I'm gonna choose the, the one I think was the better option. And we're here almost two months after doing what we're what we say we're doing. Um no, no official announcement yet. So you can you'll you'll you will get it when the official when, when everything starts to get official and pictures start post up and oh, we can, can start we can start my man the people in today, but <laughs> <laughs> We're not at that point yet. <laughs> no, you have to do it like Lambert, my boyfriend. You know how that you have to do <laughs> If it's not my boyfriend I'm, or my husband. I feel, like, I, feel like, I feel like as a big woman, I'm supposed to say my man. Oh, I'm fair. <laughs> this is fair. This is fair. Listen, big, big man, I have boyfriend. I have man. 
Come out of my business. What are going with you? Um, well, uh, oh gosh, you know what? Fair is fair. I've been having a, a relatively decent time. Things at work are going how they're supposed to be going. Uh, mostly running smooth. We're, we're along in the process of getting the, the property that we're trying to get. So I'm looking forward to wrapping up that very soon so that we can have a nice little uh, merging. You know, we and Trans are going to be in the same space together. I'm looking forward to that. We can have a permanent space finally. Um, I think I might have mentioned this before, but you know, I'm teaching a new course or tutoring a new course up at UAE. So mm-hmm. I'm teaching CCHR. And um, I'm just looking forward to say a lot of my constant students um, came along with me to CCHR. And so the girls like me. They really, really like me. I can't believe it. What is it? What is CCHR? Oh, sorry. It's Commonwealth Caribbean Human Rights Law. Okay. Right, so it's a second year course. So they came with me, um, and so it's, it's going pretty well. I honestly cannot complain about how things are right now, as in a norm. I took a Saturday time, I finally learned over two, two beat, beat, whenever the last week, I'm thinking about the week before, but I still I learned for two, two beat, beat, so we can't stop the killing a road, right? <laughs> so all that is happening, all it is happening. So all in all, you know, I'm in a pretty good space. Um, and big up Bridgerton will soon come back, but just out of that, big up Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so sophisticates. Um, now that we have that out of the way, we're having a very special treat for us um, here on the Fish Tea Podcast. Usually I don't engage in a lot of legal conversations on this space, but I, I, I t- find law to be very, what would I say? Very, very peculiar. And always nice to talk about. It can be buzzy, but always nice to talk about. But um, we're using this opportunity to talk about a major milestone that happened um, late 2020, early 2021 um, with the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights ruling on a case that was brought by two um, Jamaicans, Gareth Henry and Simone Edwards, challenging um, the Bogor law in Jamaica at the inter- within the inter-American human rights system. And we are fortunate enough to have with us um, one of the petitioners in the case, Mr. Gareth Henry, who himself is a stalwart in the local LGBT rights movement, one of the early pioneers, um, um, one of the people that I say walk so I could run. So welcome, welcome, Gareth. Um, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you, my, my pleasure. And I find this so far to be very interesting. Very, very interesting. This I've heard about this fish tea stuff before, uh, but I, I'm not necessarily on a lot on social media stuff. But, um, but it's interesting to be on the show and an interesting conversation so far. So I like this. Yes, and, and Gareth is in the sobriety that fish tea is not normally used to. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, so I mean, nice to meet you. Um, it's the first right. time um, we're interacting, but I've been exposed to the work that you've done at JFLAG, and I'm also honored to be in the presence of someone who walks, so I could run and fly and all the nice things. <laughs> all right, so how about you start us off with, um, just tell us when you started in this movement. I feel like a lot of times the, the, the movement is to be shrouded in 
in somewhat mischief, especially at the earlier years. Um, so talk to us about how you got involved, how you found yourself there. Let's go from there. Oh, okay. No, that's interesting. Um, there'll be, you know, when, uh, as I gave, um, you know, I grew up in rural Jamaica, St. Mary, and not Bay to be exact. And so, you know, a country boy come to town and tried to, and I've been living in Kingston since I was um, about 16 years old. Yeah, I left home because I was different and I know that my family would never understand that piece. And so I moved to Kingston, stayed with the aunt for a bit, and then tried to explore and try to find other people who were like myself. And it took me some time. It took me some time to find that safe space. And I found that space in the, the summer of 1998 um, at Jamaica Support and um, got involved so to volunteer. You know, found community there, which was great and amazing. The first to be able to see a lot of more boys like myself and, and, and likewise girls who, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was a good time and joining my life. Um, and I got very passionate about um, the work at HIV and also was getting involved. At the same time, um, JFI was founded later in that year and I was very, very intrigued as to what was happening. And these were, you know, um, I was just in my early, early, early 20s. I think about, nine, no, it might have been about 19 or 20. In 1998, I think I was 19 or 20 years old, yeah. Um, yeah, and I remember when, um, you know, the Larry Chang, Brian Williamson, um, you know, Ian McKnight, um, there was quite a number of folks. There was a dear, um, you know, quite a lot of folks who were involved and engaged, you know, um, in this conversation on JFLAG. And I was always, I was curious, but, you know, I didn't understand, didn't understand much of what they were talking about and that kind of stuff. But I still sat in those meetings. I sat at the door and I... I, I assume and I, I gave myself a role that I would set up the meeting room every evening when they're meeting and I'll be the water boy. You know, I will bring water to, to the meeting and serve and that kind of stuff and for the opportunity to sit and to hear what was happening. And so, yeah, it, you know, it excites me. You know, and JFL was formed later that year. So I went there, um, got involved with JASA in the summer 1998, December was formed. JFL was formed in the December of, um, of that's the year, 1998. And, um, you know, and, you know, get to understand, you know, what JFLAG was about and what, you know, these uh, men and women who was committing their life and work and talent to, to create a change in Jamaica for persons like myself, you know, who was gay and, um, and needed a safe space and did that level of advocacy. And so it was the first I we started to understand about the Bogri law legislations, you know, getting these laws repealed and that kind of stuff. So I was excited and I got involved and so I started volunteering with JFLAG. Um, and then, you know, it's the twist and turn, you know, a couple of years after, um, you know, many, um, many folks would know or who might not have known in person would have heard about Brian Williamson. Brian was the face for JFLAG, right? He was a guy, um, you know, was a white Canadian man who would be on the TV and talking about gay rights in Jamaica and talking about the work of JFLAG. He was the person who was would be on the radio having conversations about, you know, um, homophobia, transphobia, and all that kind of stuff. So he was that face. Something gay, it was Brian Williams. And, you know, and, you know Brian operated um, the, the gay club right there in the middle of New Kingston, um, 3A, 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 Arden Avenue. You know, that came under a lot of problems and pressure, but he was persistent and persevered that we're going to have this space. And it was, it was amazing. You know, we... You know, so we, I grew up to, to honor and um, a person like Brian Williamson uh, for his work and his commitment. 
And Brian was brutally murdered the 11th of June, 2004. And that hurt, you know, it created, it, it, you know, it was all over the news and all that kind of stuff, you know, about, you know, his lifestyle, homos, his gay, and all, we know the rhetoric that happens in Jamaica when a gay man is being killed. And um, the, the, the media house called and wanted a commentary from, from JFLAG or somebody gay. And um, I remember nobody wanted to do it. Um, and I moved from one person to say, who would you do it one? You know, and I, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I raised my hand and I said, I'll do it. I'll talk to the, I'll talk to the, 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 um, the, the radio station. I didn't know. I was not going to go TV because no, that's not my kind of stuff. So I'll go and uh, do the radio. And that was my first interview. The, a couple of hours after Brian body was found. And, um, and I did it because I felt at that time it was the right thing to do that somebody had to tell a different story about this man, this man who gave up his, his life and his love and commitment to a community to support somebody like myself. And so that was very, you know, um, where it started. And it was from that very first interview to the next, to the next, to the next, to, to the next, and um, got more involved and integrally involved in the work at JFLAG. Um, and, you know, and, and over the, the, over time became the, um, the, we didn't call him, we weren't executive director at that point in time. What was my title? I don't remember what the hell it was, but it was some lead advocate, something, some project, something of such a sort. And um, I took that role on. Um, and, you know, again, you know, co-chaired um, a few pieces with the, the women, for, women for Women. So the piece around the projects around um, supporting women projects. So then the, this kind of a balance. So we were operated with my wonderful friend, Carlin Williams-Clark, who was the female version of what I do um, in terms of this piece around the JFN. And so we call it that piece. Um, yeah, you know, it's, so that's my, the genesis of how I, I, I got involved and stayed involved um, in this very important work that we, we, we have to do um, in Jamaica. Um, and so, wow. <laughs> Um, so thank you for that um, very kind of comprehensive overview. I, I mean, I have a, I don't know if it's a, I don't know what to call it, but I have a joy um, in kind of trying to piece together that time because you know you talk about how young you were back when JFlag started. I was five, you know, so I, I love hearing all of it and how it went from like one person to the next and how the baton was passed. Um, but I am interested in in hearing about. Because um, you say you grew up in St. Mary, I'm here. I want love to hear about you coming into your own as a gay man at a time in Jamaica when you know things were rough. I think I've aware my my experience as a gay gay man and my um, assuming my identity is way different than the average, I think the average kind of a gay person. So that worked it, right? I came out um, when I was eight in 1985. Um, at that very early age, I was very much and deeply attracted to my barber. And my barber was uh, like 15, 16 years older than I was. And what was funny in that whole stuff that it turns out that this guy was gay. Um, but I didn't know what the hell it was, but I knew that I liked this. I just liked this man for very different reasons. Um, we never had anything physical or anything of such a sort. Nothing happened until, you know, I, I grew older 
Uh, till I was about 16 year old, then I tried to play with him and he was like, nah, anyway, shit happens. We, we know what happens out. We ain't pretending that, you know, as young kids, we don't try to mess around that kind of stuff. That, you know, we, we ask questions, we do stuff and we, we experiment. Um, but this man, this person, you know, he was very, very good in terms of was able to answer the questions that I have to ask. Um, so it was a piece around sharing information and trying to help me to understand that I'm okay, I'm normal, nothing is wrong with me. Um, understanding why I don't like really like girls to have sex with girls like my, my other male friends were doing and counterparts, that kind of stuff. And so it was an interesting journey to be able to have someone at an early age who I was leading the, the uh, leading and directing the conversations. I would ask because I want answers. I couldn't have asked my parents, you know, I grew up in a very religious um, household. I, the, my parents, my family had such huge problems with me because I, I tend to be too strong-headed. And so the less I was home, the better it was. So they would send me to church on Saturdays, all the way in Buff Bay. And then I go to church on Sundays. So you know Adventist church is all day. You're away from home. They get, I get picked up in the morning at 7.30. I get dropped back home in the night at 8. Sunday morning at church at 9 a.m., and it's all day, you, you know, and, and even the night service, that kind of stuff. And so I was, I think my mom and my godmother knew what, what was, I was doing during the journey as a child that I was having. And so, you know, a fast track, I, when I turned 15, I left home. I just decided that, you know, no, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't understand. And so, you know, I organized and I lied to my uncle about uh, my mom agreeing to send me to say that I could go to college after high school. I started high school when I was 10 years old, very early. And so I finished high school when I was 15. Um, and so I was I said, yep, you know, my, I got funds from my uncle. He sent it to Kingston for my aunt. And I got do it myself and got enrolled into Excel uh, Community College because I just wanted to leave home. And I then told my mom and got my, oh, and I was like, what are you going to do? And I said, it's all figured out. And I didn't talk to my parents and my grandmother for about the better part of two and a half years because I needed time to figure out Gareth. Um, I let them know I'm okay, but the conversations about my sexuality, the conversations about who I am as a person, we ain't going to have that discussion. And so I've been always strong-willed from a child that I'm, I don't think I need to answer those questions. So my mom, you know, was mad and furious with me at some point in time, but I would say, well, my shoulders up, who cares um, in, in my kind of a world? So I've been doing my shit for my 15 years year old and making those, my own independent decisions uh, from that point in time and challenging my family. So like when my mom first heard me on radio talking about um, the death of Brian, she called me and she said, I heard you on the radio talking about some gay stuff. Why you have to go on the radio talking about gay stuff? I was like, you sure you heard me? She said, yeah, I know your voice. And so she was upset and going on and on and on and on. And, and you know, I said, I listened to her for about 10 minutes. And, you know, she preached the Bible. She talked about other stuff. And when she was finished, and I said to her, and I'll never forget this. I said to her, you have two choices, right? One, you deal with me as your gay son and you love me for who I am. Or two, you never call my number again. And I was just 24 years old at that point in time. And I hung up. I didn't really wait for her. 
chosen. I said, figure it out and then you come. Um, about half an hour after she called, bawling her eyes out, I love you. I said, what did you choose? And she said, you're my son. I said, okay, when you finish dealing with your pain and your hurt and you're dealing and reconciling this stuff and realizing that I'm going to live my truth and you live yours, we can continue this conversation. And I didn't talk to my mom again. I gave her some break and some space to, to process that for herself. And uh, we connected later in the week. And then she was, you know, the interesting piece was that she became curious as to what happened to this man? What is J flag? Why am I doing that kind of stuff when I'm doing that kind of stuff? I know it was, her, it was the beginning of her becoming um, a very supportive mother, right? Um, one who stood with me um, through thick and thin. And um, I think I've helped made me the, the person that I am today, being able to embrace and um, be bold about who I am and my choices and uh, being um, apologetic, even to my family which was very profound um, for me. So yeah, so I think that's about it. I came into my own then and just do the shit that I wanna do. And just, and just being my authentic self is nothing more rewarding. And it's something that I wish that many and more, and that's why I do the work I, I got involved with JFly to create that kind of space for, for all of us, right? Where we be able to do that. And the reality of it is that we will not all have the same experience and I just wish that many more gay guys would be able to have the strength to be able to stand firm for themselves and not early ages but you know the reality is not so and that's why the work um, that um, you, um, JFLAG is doing is important and is relevant and, uh, and continues to be needed and a space for that today. Wow I mean I just and this is before I, I, I let him you know come in I, I think it's so interesting the kind of parallels between my even my own journey with my mother that kind of you know initial period of confrontation and difficulty but then kind of being my strongest support now um it's just it's just very interesting to hear it and it's it's great that you know even then that was uh, a reality that someone had so um over to you Em. yeah so um pretty pretty heavy stuff um just share it with us guys and like the more the more the more i'm exposed to other persons experiences with their parents like I, I often think about mine with my own mother who we to this day not have have not had a conversation about <laughs> my my sexual or gender identity um last year i just showed up i just she was here in the states um for a wedding and i just showed up in a crop top with um with long nails <laughs> and braids in my hair. And to my surprise, it was like, meh, <laughs> you know? So I, I, I was happy that I never had to go through the uncomfortableness of coming out to her and then having to have that conversation. Um, but we can, we can jump into the topic now, um, Glenn, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like i have a, i have a lot of feelings um a lot of feelings about this um i haven't read everything in detail but you know i've skimmed over what you guys had presented in the petition and i've skimmed over the, the recommendations from from the um ACHR. and I, I just i just want to ask to start uh, you know what was what was it like going through this process what 
what did you have to do in terms of like mental preparations to 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 relive all of this mm-hmm. um, that you that you've um, put into the in, into this um, into this petition? You know the the decision to make the the the, you know, the, the claim. You know, it's that my you know I'm always eager, always eager to do anything that will help my community, will help my brothers and sisters. Um, you know, I've always seen myself as someone who is in service to community. And so whatever I can do, whatever contributions I can make, then, you know, absolutely yes. You know, I'm also conscious of the fact that when this petition was filed, you know, I was in the comfort of Canada. Um, and so, you know, the, the reaction, you know, the possibility of um, violence or whatever it is, they might be different um, for me. Um, so I'm always conscious of that piece. Um, the opportunity only presented itself. Um, after I, mo- I moved to Canada. And it, it took a lot because it was a lot in terms of um, reaction to some of the very hurtful things that I've experienced and the, some of the trauma that I went through, which were, um, you know, significant and intense. Um, you know, the, the weight and the burden of retelling those stories of um, friends who were killed because of their sexual orientation, you know, it's, it's horrific. The, the stories of you know going talking about going to identify the bodies of my friends who were murdered you know I always remember vividly Steve Harvey one of them was like um, Steve and I used to live together right it was my my roommate um, that kind of stuff and you know had to go out to do that piece you know it's it's it takes a lot and so you know for me you know it was a lot mentally. But it's a piece of, uh, you know, it's doing the right thing. And sometimes doing the right thing is going to be challenging. It's going to be, it's going to challenge, challenge it's going to be tough. And, um, you know, what's funny, you know, the, when I first filed my petition in, um, I think it was 2012, and that made news and it was um, in the media all over, that the, because I was miles away and, you know, Jamaicans couldn't have had their ways with me. You know, they took that out on my sister, right? My sister is um, heterosexual woman, live at home with her partner and two kids. And because I was public and my sister has been a very supportive girl, you know, always been one of my strongest um, advocates and supporter, um, she became a target of violence. The, the same violence that or similar that I experienced, including my nieces. And they were at that time, five and 12 years old, um, 12 years old that, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, they were five and 12 years old at that time that they were bullied in school because they have a gay uncle. And uh, my sister would wake up to placards made on, on her gate and uh, people throwing things at her car, she's driving. It was horrible. She was threatened and went through the horrific experiences of violence and and, um, and even though she was she's straight, um, you know, and um, as a result of that petition, um, you know, she had to flee Jamaica, and thanks to the Canadian government, she was granted conventional refugee protection on the merits of um, of my case, um, and even though this was like four years after leaving Jamaica, that the that this that impact in terms of my work and in terms of um, how people community see 
Jamaicans do see me and they would have that point in time, the anger against LGBTQ folks continue to be that kind of intense. And so it took a lot because to see that my, my, my sister and her family had to be uprooted because of something that I was doing, because something that I believe in, which was is supposed to be right, it's hard, right? It's, 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 you feel a sense of responsibility for whatever happens to them in Canada. In the beer pins, a sense of responsibility that she had to give up her, her profession and her career. She was a midwife, right? And she had to give it up in the interest and the safety for her own personal safety and that of her, child, of her two kids. And so I carry that burden. And it is not a light and easy one to do. But again, it's, you know, you know, at, at what cost, you know, sometimes, you know, and I'm just, I'm just hard-headed. I just believe in doing the right thing. And I think this petition was, and that was a con just a well, one of the consequences of that kind of a stuff that, in, that things are going to happen. And um, change happens and will happen amid adversities. And, we, you know, we, I will not be deterred by being bold and doing the right thing because of the fear that I will be, persecuted or experienced some, some loss because of um, doing what is right. Um, I want to follow up um, before we even get to the, you know, the argument itself, um, personally, because the case itself describes some really horrific experiences that you personally experienced, that other persons that you know personally experienced. And, 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 and I, you know, I, want, I really want to get a sense of how you dealt with that and, and what kind of sustained you at that time while you were doing this kind of work, um, this advocacy work, this activism work at a time when, uh, you know, it was different and it had all of these costs. So even before you left Jamaica, um, what, what kept you going? You know, I've always asked myself, I think, but I think what kept me going was the fact that I, I believe that there will be a better day, that things will be better. And, um, and that's just it. It's just that. And it's just that it felt right. It just felt right. And be able to balance it and say, yeah, you know, it's like, it's, you know, like one of that, you know, why would you put yourself in known danger? when it has nothing to do with you directly. But it didn't, you know, and I said, you know, I was like, oh, but it doesn't have, you know, it's not Garrett in the center of it directly, but it do impact me because those, the folks who I'm working with and supporting are my brothers and my sisters, right? Um, and really recognizing and realizing that at some point that balance that not all, of, not all of us will be able to be involved at the same level. Some of us will be the, the voices. Some of us will be the, the, you know, the, the, the foot runners. Some of us will be the ones who sit behind a desk and, and put, some, put pen to paper, that kind of stuff. So we all bring to this work our, our different talents and those need to be appreciated and valid. And what I loved the most in what I did was, was community. I loved my, my community. And if you know, it meant that I would get up in the night, I would get a call from someone um, and I remember one night I was home and I got a call at about say, 2 3 o'clock. There were two um, guys, one died sadly, um, in West London, in Savamar, who needed help. And I called my, I called 
my that the taxi driver would normally use and was like, we need to go to Westmoreland. It was like, you see the time? I was like, yeah, but we need to get to Westmoreland. We need to get there by daybreak. And um, we did, you know, and we were at the police station trying to support and to get um, the guys out. One of them were beaten um, so bad that, you know, had a head trauma and um, he died six months after from, from, from that, that trauma that he experienced, you know. The young, um, his, his friend, um, you know, so happens, um, was able to, to migrate um, a year and a half after, but not again, that kind of a trauma that he experienced. Um, I don't know, I just always wanted to be present as best as possible where um, community needed me and where I think I could make an impact because I wasn't afraid. I, the, the, the violence that I've experienced in Jamaica is, um, I've always been on the hands of the police um i've always been and um which is sad you know but I'm, i've never feared my community members i will always um i don't even know what to fight necessarily i've never been in a fight even in my school days i always run away but i realized that to be gay in jamaica you have to be strong you have to be bold you have to you have to not be intimidated and you have to stand firm in the face of adversity and not run away easily because people just continue to prey on you. And um, I think that was a part of what gives me some level of reprieve was that I just pretended I'm a bad boy, right? And I know to defend myself and that kind of stuff. I remember taking up machetes in front of people. I was like, right, come touch me now. And in my eyes, I was like, what the fuck? If they ever, I'm gonna run like crazy. But you know, I have to stand up and pretend like, yeah, I can know to handle a machete, but you know, poor soul, they will not understand that this boy, couldn't handle that machete to save his life, but that presence kind of had then showed that I'm standing up for myself, that kind of stuff. You know, so what drives me was just, I just used to have good times seeing people being good um, and being there, being present with our community members and um, creating those opportunities for change. You know, sometimes I think like, you know, when we get, when we are oppressed in the way that we continue to be oppressed as queer folks is that, we kind of tend to bond together and that bonding brings joy. You know, you know, it's I always said to folks, you know, when we, when, the, and, and I say that my folks here in Canada, I was like, I don't like gay parties in Canada. Because you know what? It's, we have a freedom, we can go to a party tomorrow. It's, and then we can go tomorrow night and I can go to the bar. But I said to them, when we used to have parties in Jamaica, and I used to go to parties, our parties still happen, was that, each night, each party was, was going to be memorable because you know what? I'm not sure I'm going to see the other guy tomorrow, right? We weren't sure there would be a next party. And so we, we turn up being our best and gave that night our best because oftentimes when we do leave, there are one or two persons who didn't make it to the next party because you know, either they go missing or they found their bodies or they're in the hospital um, or lamed up, that kind of stuff. So that kind of energized me in the sense of community coming together. We're doing a lot more stuff amidst the adversities that we, 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 we were kind of experiencing, that kind of stuff. So yeah, my motivation is just, and what kept me was just continuing to doing the right thing. What I know and believe in to be the right thing over and over and over again. And that's what it caught me into, into that last incident in 2007. And when I thought I just had to do the right thing was to intervene on behalf of these two 
trans trans women who were in the mall shopping mall who were under attack and um i could it was i don't think it's my nature to stand by and to see injustice happening and not speak up and say something and um and that's how i live and that's how i continue to live because this was like my silence will not be seen as being complicit and so i will always let my voice be heard when injustice is 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 happening and someone is being treated other than what they deserve to be treated as great so um how how has this um these experiences and i guess to some extent um you're you're being away for so long um how has that sort of like impact your views on Jamaica? Have you been back? Um, how do you feel if when you do come back, if you... I don't know, we have a couple of years for Glenn. <laughs> 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 I don't think I'm the most embarrassing person. Okay, no, he's been back. But okay, I'm going to let him finish. <laughs> yeah, do you, you finish the question, Em? Yeah, that was a question. Um, no, no, yeah, yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been back. Um, I would say that it has been also been interesting on, on my time uh, being back. I... I, you know, I don't take it for granted that, that, you know, I am known and um, that, that, that might be, you know, be risky, um, given that, you know, in terms of how I publicly speak against and speak, uh, speak against Jamaica and the homophobia and transphobia that exist. And I will, you know, will continue to, to hold my position strongly. Um, you know, I remember I got off a, a flight once um, in in Montego Bay. I didn't. Nobody knew I was coming, and the before I finished going through immigration, I got a text from someone to say, "Then be careful. People know that you're here in Jamaica." And I was like, "Why?" It, it was like, "Yeah." And so I've been very, 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 very particular. Um, Anytime when I come and where I go and how I engage that kind of stuff. I've been back and I came to, to Pride, which was which was beautiful. I and that and that breakfast party that you um Jay Flag also organized. I've been to those two events, which was great, right? But you know, it's I I would not be naive at this stage of the game that um it's it's safe or safer because um I no longer live in Jamaica. Yeah, I will not be naive with that is concerned, right? Um, you know, hate is hate, and people are hateful, and they will do horrible, uh, horrible things um, to you, regardless of where you're, where, where you're located. And so, yeah, so it, it's. Um, but what was the other part of the question? I can't miss out the first part. I get died into that piece, and then Glenroy interrupted us as we were formulating our thought process. <laughs> I, th I think yeah. you, you started to touch on it. So I was kind of I was asking about um, the experiences coming back and just just generally how that how you approach and oh. everything. No, no, I always try. To, I'm, I'm always on, on high alert. I don't go out much. I don't. I stay at a I stay in a comfort. I stay at a hotel. Um, yep, and you know it's. I don't have to have to. Then I don't. You know I yeah it's when I'm being had to flee Jamaica because of the violence that I experienced and the near death experience I've had. 
I will not ever, ever be naive that I will be, ever be safe in that country. Um, I will never be. And so, you know, the, you know, trauma is a hell of a thing, right? And when you said, you know, for me, going back, you know, it's, you then immediately remember all, all the loss and all the pain that you, that you endured while, while you were there, that kind of stuff. And it is, it is intense. And, you know, I wish for no other gay person to really experience and encounter what I had to experience and encounter because of my work and also because of just being, living my truth and being my authentic self, right? You know, it's, and, you know, when you're in leadership um, and you're coming, um, you know, set yourself up that you're going to experience loss and significant loss. You know, it, it, it comes with this work, it comes with activism. And whether you're part of an organization or not, you know, once you're a community person and you speak out and you advocate for others, it, you're going to experience significant loss, whether it's personal or not, but, you know, it's, it's and it's going to cut deep. It's going to run, run and cut very deep. And actually, I did, I would, I'd probably not in the same way, but in, in, in their parallels in terms of, I remember saying to, you know, JVN once that I, it can be a very isolating place to be in um, when, you're, when, when, you're, when you're leading, um, they're being a face of the movement in this kind of way. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit more closely about the case. Um, and I really appreciate you, you know, giving, because sometimes I feel like when we talk about these issues, we lose a person. And, 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 and I feel like I've really gotten to know Gareth. Um, and so I want, to, I want to know, how was it for you? Because I know court processes take forever, right? You file a petition, an inter-American commission. You file a petition in 2012 and you essentially wait forever as it goes through the different stages to a ruling late 2020. How was, how was, how, what, how were you during the different parts of that process? Um, and, and, and how did you feel about it? And then we can come to how you felt about the, the decision in the end. Yeah, the, you know, it's, man, it was, it was a lot of time, you know, and, and the, lawyer, the lawyers were in the UK, there are times when oh, I didn't mind the flights. I didn't mind going to these things and meetings. No, no, we take the flights and go enjoy, do some work and enjoy a bit of London. Absolutely, absolutely. That was, um, that part of it was great and fun. Of course, I didn't mind doing some of the public speaking, the engagement around gathering information and creating awareness about the, the, the case. But, but it's not been a long time, you know, but I always said, you know, there are times, you know, the lawyers within a law firm change and the, the file was moved to another, and I was like, "Oh Christ!" You know, I don't remember now the first, the first lawyer who was assigned to the case because um, um, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but it's a lot, you know. Um, you know, the you know the the, the human dignity trusts at times that they've been very good and very gracious, and they're a wonderful partner and uh, for me to 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 uh, working with. And there are moments when they felt it was like it was just taking forever. Um, and you know, at the moment we're gonna hear something and then it's 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 dead silent. But one of the things I said to them and I continue to say was like this is just one 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 aspect, one one method, right? There are others. So this this process will take a while, it is fine. You know? It's that I will not be I will I don't get weary 
in doing the right thing. I don't, no matter how long it takes, I will sit in that space and wait for that kind of a result. Um, the, the pieces were, were interesting when I have to do some additional kind of a summation pieces uh, waiting on the Jamaican government to respond. And, uh, and then they, they take forever to respond, right? Because, you know, it's for them was that we don't know what Garrett and Simone are talking about. These things don't happen. The police would never do this kind of stuff. And yeah, the, the Jamaican government basically called me, well, they're going to tell me that I'm lying and say to the courts that I, it's a lie and there are no truth right? And that the most alarming piece was that I had the opportunity to bring this forward to the local courts. Why then I, I didn't do that? And I was like, man, what audacity when when we know this is this this isn't possible. You know, it was nowhere at all possible given in even in my situation. And the fact that I had to leave, I had to leave, you know. Um, so they were looking on the, you know, when the courts were looking around the piece, around the credibility um of my 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 case, you know, I was like, the lawyers were worried, but I was like, the truth always triumphs. The truth can stand and should stand on its own merit. I was like, you know, it's it's there, it's documented, it has been documented before these cases, um, the petition was brought forward. It was, you know, the incident on Valentine's Day 2007, the, the murders of, you know, um, numbers of the 13 gay, gay folks that I may mention of a reference to in my petition. These are people who have known and people. So it was like, I feel confident that it will move through that process, regardless of what the Jamaican government is say. And the piece, the leg piece that they were, the, uh, my lawyers were concerned about was the fact that, you know, the court could have come back to say, we could have done this redresses in the local remedies in the local court, that kind of stuff. And again, you know, my uh, my in my response to them um, when that question was asked, again, I was making it very clear and very profound that I couldn't have and I couldn't have because the courts are on un, unfair and structured biased against um, the LGBTQ community, right? And so um, eventually went through the, the admissible and credibility stage, and I was like. Voila. And, and then Jamaica took eight months in which to respond um, after that was done in terms of, again, any other counter that they might have. And they come back with the same conversations over and over and over again. Mr. Henry could have used the courts and they're not aware of any of these kind of incidences that would have happened. But Mr. Henry is allegedly alleging that has happened to him or any of his counterparts, that kind of stuff. So I was like, you know, politicians, Governments, you know, they lie, right? And they, their jobs are not, their primary focus is not first to protect those most vulnerable within society. Their primary focus is just lead on and continue hypocrisy, lead on and continue to hold on to colonial laws and practices that disenfranchise Black people, right? And I find it so sad that, you know, when the oppressed becomes the oppressor, it is horrible. It is a very sad state to be in that as black people, we do this to each other. Um, and then at the same time, we speak to the fact that and we sit and be contented with the fact that these laws that we use to enforce and to, to divide each other are given, were given to us by white people. But then we talk about being emancipated and then we talk about independence and then we talk about decolonizing, but we choose not to be, as a as Jamaica, as a people, they choose not to honor what the things that we believe in the most, and that is creating our own unique, our own unique identity 
and empowering and supporting all black people and then supporting all persons. So yeah, it was a turmoil and it was interesting how the Jamaican government tried to definitely they'll cause the process to be more delayed than anything else. But at the end of, end of the day, we cannot really delay justice. We can't. So it will eventually come to fruition. And it, it did, it did. Um, what, eight years after? Yeah, no, yeah, eight to nine years after, um, it did come to fruition. So, um, and I'm glad you mentioned Simone, because um, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that there was another petitioner who was a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and I know um, a lot of the, the, you know, in, in the petition, you spoke about a lot of the violence and discrimination faced by, and, and that many members of our community continue to face um, here. And you linked it to, you know, the perpetuation of the retention of the Bogre law here in Jamaica. And, um, and, and, and so now you have within this petition a woman, and, you, and for some pe people may not know that, you know, Bogri is limited to male on male sexual acts largely, except for, you know, the anal sex part, which is general. Um, so I, how, how, you know, was that part of the process? Not so much the legal arguments, because I know how they got around it, but um, how was it also for Simone to be a part of this process? Um, well, how, was it intentional to make sure that, you know, a woman's voice was in it as well? So talk to us a little bit about that and, and, and um, did that process kind of bring you closer, closer together? I, I would be interested to hear. Yeah, the, yeah, thanks. You know, that's a very good um, question too. Kind of one of the things, you know, it's, it's you know, while I was um, by work in, in Jamaica, but I was there, you know, I was always being referred to as a honorary lesbian because the cause of women are very close and dear to my heart because their pain is so hidden. Their trauma happens behind the doors. You know, when you'll find that the issues that gay men experience are highly sensationalized, it makes the news. Guys been chased through the street and beaten. Lesbians are raped. That happens in silence. And there's a shame and embarrassment to talk about that. You know, so they, they, they suffer in so much pain and silence. And because it, it's take, that is not going to come to the fore. That is so personal and so deep. That level of violation and humiliation that no woman will come forward. They would, but be motivated right away to do that and come forward and talk about the, the trauma that they experienced. And so I've always, always, always make sure that as I do my work and I, um, that it's balanced with that piece in terms of women and women's issues um, in the best way possible. And so when this, the, the petition, petition um, the, I was approached, I was like, no, I need a, um, I need a female. There's a story, um, you, know, you know, gay guy as I am, but our situations have been, our experiences have been highly sensationalized. We get all the attention. Um, the media is all over, you know, Jamaican media is always over the gay issue and the gay agenda, that kind of stuff. And when we talk about gay, oftentimes we don't, it doesn't readily include and, uh, and represent and reflect um, women, right? Lesbians and bisexual women and trans women. And so it was important for me to have that balance. And so, and Nicole was, was the perfect person because of her experiences, right? And uh, I've known Nicole before, uh, Simone, not Nicole, I've known Simone, um, for quite a bit and you know being active actively involved with, with J Flag and Women for Women um 
horrific experiences she have had. And I think, you know, that, it, you know, some folks thought that it would be, it would, you know, might have diluted my case or make it weak. I was like, it can only be, because again, in terms of the reference and the context around the burglary laws, that kind of stuff. So, but it, what, what it can only do is to create a balance and a, and a, and a broader perspective on the issues that are affecting LGBTQ folks in Jamaica. It's, I'm a gay man. The issues I'm experiencing, you know, I represent one segment of our, our diverse community. Another voice is equally create a kind of balance and attention that why, you know, it's, it paints the real picture. That not only gay men are being mobbed and beaten and chopped in, and killed, but lesbians also experience the same level of violence. Go unknown in most instances, unnoticed because of the, it, it, you know, it's, um, the, of the trauma and the fact that it's happened more in terms of rape. Um, you know, some women are beaten uh, in, in the street, yes, but oftentimes it doesn't get the same front page on Observer or the Jamaica Star as a gay guy that happened to a gay man. So I think for me personally, it strengthened my case. Um, yep, yeah, and it add value and merit to, 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 what, to my overall agenda in create, to seeing how we can create opportunities for change uh, in Jamaica for not gay men exclusively, um, as you know, as a, uh, but also for LGBTQ folks right across the spectrum. So, um, and so now I wonder, um, you know, eight, nine years on, you finally get the ruling. Um, how do you feel? I mean, how did you feel um, once that ruling came out, I know you and I participated in a, in a dialogue. You know, we talked, we talked it through. But for you, you know, you know, kind of culminating all the years of work you've done um, in this movement, how did it make you, Gareth, um, feel having had that victory? Um, they, the, you know, I continue to feel good. I feel, you know, that to be reminded that you're right, uh, you're right from the onset to, to, to have the uh, international body to say, you know, the Jamaican government did you wrong, Gareth, meant everything to me. It meant everything possible. It just validated for me why I do this work and why I continue to do this work in service um, to, to, to community members. Um, yeah, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it, it didn't take, like, you know, I would say, you know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't need anyone to tell me that it was the right thing, but it's significant because Jamaica has been, um, it's been held accountable, it's, uh, it's been called to be held accountable. It highlights the, 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 the challenge or the plight of, the, of LGBTQ folks in Jamaica. It, 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 more people are now more knowledgeable about um, what's happening to LGBTQ folks in Jamaica. So I feel very good. And um, you know, I'm happy that I was able to share that moment with Simone. You know, and it's one that I was like, yep, you know, it is transformative because then it sets the tone for more work and it sets also the tone for greater and deeper kind of engagements, you know, as we move, uh, as, as we move along. So yep, you know, I beamed with joy, I was in Barbados uh, when I got that news and I was like, yeah, I was like that doing my happy dance in my, my apartment. I was like, finally, yeah, it's happened. Finally, yes, it happened to me. Yeah, know that kind of stuff. And yeah, I had a, a good time, but it, uh, it's, but it's again, uh, long overdue, but the excitement and the passion 
was still there as if this case was filed yesterday and I got a decision today. That's how I felt. Right. Great to hear. Um, Emma, I know you had one more question. Um, and I, and yeah, the question I have, I don't know if, if it comes before you, so you can go ahead. Can we be not talk for a while? <laughs> no problem. Um, right, so the, the final question I have for you guys. Um, so this, this um, case was decided in 2020, right? Um, it's been two years. Um, there were some recommendations that were more or less, um, you know, seeking to direct um, things that should happen and some that were much broader in scope. Um, have you seen any, any moves towards um, um, addressing any of those, um, those rec are they recommendations? What's, what's the right term? Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're recommendations and they're not binding. So the Jamaican government don't have to do anything at all. Um, which I know, which we know they, they wouldn't do anything at all. But I find the piece with it is to see how we can, uh, for me, is still working through how we can use this and in other decisions, also with other decisions that has happened prior to uh, and, and subsequent to mine around how do we hold the Jamaican government accountable, right? And so it, it lays a platform for greater advocacy uh, in, from, from a different perspective. And um, yeah, we're just working on, um, I'm still working through those pieces as to what that will be. You know, it takes time, right? But I know for sure that um, the Jamaican government would not necessarily be responsive to it um, in the way that we would have possibly hoped that they would do. But we hope that you know, the fact that it is there is on the table that we can use this decision as a tool for, for more advocacy um, uh, moving forward. And that includes you know, myself individually, but also, uh, JFLAG and other organizations be able to, to use it as a platform to, to have the conversations that need to be had to, to pull it apart and to ask, you know, then, you know, what can be done? These are some uh, recommendations from an international body. How are we going to hold the Jamaican government and elected officials accountable to have the conversations, right? Um, yeah, and that is, again, it's just, the, it just create opportunities for, for more work um, that needs to be done, but give us a, giving us a, a foundation on which to build and to have some conversation on this course. Okay, so, and, oh, oh, and just to kind of, you know, say, so um, we do this thing every, well, not gonna say every five years, but we do this analysis on the application of the Bugger Law locally. We did it 2008, we did it, well, no, 2010, we did it, you know, 2016, and we did an update um, in, last year to kind of see how the laws have been applied um, and framing around So yeah, Garrett's case is one of the cases that we would have added to the more recent update to kind of say the international precedence is growing and growing on this issue. So um, we put out something uh, and actually just a little bit before I came on this, I had a, you know, a media a conversation with a media representative. So it will come up before this episode comes out, but you know, just to know that we are you know, using the case as a platform for continued advocacy around this particular issue. And, and, and personally, just to say, the, what I love about the decision is that the recommendations were not just limited to, you know, changes to the bug law, which are critical, but they also went to the heart of some of the experiences um, that uh, Gareth reported on personally, and also the other experiences of persons that were referenced um, in the petition. 
So for example, my favorite was like the anti-discrimination piece because mm-hmm. uh, that's a broad far reaching issue that even if tomorrow we change that particular law, it still needs to be beyond the books. We still need something that is protective for members of our community. And, and, and not just that, there are also pieces around training government officials, for example, mm-hmm. to make sure that they provide services in a way that is non-discriminatory. And so I, I appreciated the breadth of the recommendations. And so my last question uh, for you, Gareth, is, um, and you know, to say congratulations again, um, if I hadn't already, um, um, what are you doing now? You know, I mean, I kind of know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know you really haven't stopped working in this uh, sector, but, but, but what does Gareth do now? And, and, I, and I find it interesting that a lot of our, um, our you know, our early style arts, they don't really ever stop working. Um, even if they're no longer here with us, you know, in Jamaica. So what what is up with you now? What is Gareth doing now? Yeah, what Gareth is doing now? I don't know. I don't know which angle to take it from. There's so many things. Anyway, but no, what I'm doing now is, uh, you know, I work. I'm the executive director at the Black Coalition for AIDS Prevention, Black Cap, here in Toronto. Um, and that's equivalent to Jamaica AIDS Support for Life. Um, and until I follow my passion, my heart, it's like, you know, it's working and being in service to, to community. So I, yes, I've been, um, been doing that for the last um, for the last three years. Uh, in addition to my ongoing work with uh, Rainbow Railroad, um, where they work, uh, um, you know, as a, as a senior program officer for Rainbow Railroad, um, where we, for the guys who can't survive right now in, in Jamaica and across the Caribbean, for the guys who, you know, have fought their fight um, and have been beaten down and downtrodden that we try to help some of these guys to, to seek safety elsewhere. And I'm always to the folks, you know, that this work that I do with Rainbow Railroad, I started this work just as I came to Canada in 2000, just about in 2008. And I got involved in doing that work because I was, I was you know, for me, it was like saying, you know, I was like, some of us have to, not all of us can sit and live in the fight and survive. Not all of us. And I'm always conscious of that. And I'm also conscious of the fact that you know, people leaving doesn't change it either, right? And, but you know, it's a personal choice. And so, so we help, I help, we work with an organization to help folks who, who want to leave, to leave and to seek, find safety and, um, and seek asylum in different, uh, in different countries and parts of the world. I know migration does not solve the problem that LGBTQ folks are having in Jamaica, it doesn't. Well, many of us who, who have left home wished we were home and continue to wish that we were home. But realizing that you know the balance in terms of choosing life over death, you know you choose life. It means you have to. Some of us have to leave, and um, yeah. So I do that. Um, um, that part of it, uh, what I do. And again, I said you know it's pretty much it's. Um, that's it. You know, continue work. Try to live my best life. Um, try to to always to remember and to honor um, those who are doing the work right there in Jamaica, um, where you know it remains you know unsafe for for many folks and. Um, you know, and those are good, um, you know, tough decisions to do and to be involved and engage in a level that many, uh, many of you like um, Glenroy and Emma are involved and engage, uh, engage. You know, so I know I always, for me, is to, to honor, honor the folks who are doing the, that frontline work because I no longer do that kind of frontline, frontline, frontline work anymore, but continue to do and to provide the support that I can to, to, to my community members. And when outside of not working, then I, 
I go cruising. I love the cruise. Um, uh, for the most part, just five on a cruise ship. Um, nine out of ten times that I'm not home, I'll be on a cruise ship going somewhere um, somewhere across the Caribbean or somewhere across, um, sometimes across Europe when it is warmer, whether it's that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's just it. You know, it's continuing the work and just trying to be balanced and to, to live a healthy, healthy, balanced life, work and pleasure life, that is, yeah. Personally, I'm good because I fish you this. They don't ask a question. There's no Mr. Harry. What's going on? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. No, no. There is Patrick. Uh, Patrick. Patrick and I have been to. to oh, God. It, can you imagine? I guess it, this relationship survived because I. Uh, he, I think he understands more that um, I work a whole, whole lot. And so. He got the script and he, he understood that. Yeah, we've been together for seven years. Oh, eight years. November is going to be eight years. Um, yeah, you know, so that happens. But you know, he knows that. Listen, this. I get up in like I get up in the mornings and it's just work, 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 work. But then you know, you, you balance that. You try to find that kind of a middle ground and balance. And it's important that when you have a supportive partner, someone who understands and value the work that you do that. You know, it's it's going to take a lot of time and effort, and um, and the fact that I do two, you know, I do my my paid my my job as the ED at um, at Black Cap, and I do this work with. Um, I have right now, literally, I have two hundred plus uh, queer LGBTQ folks from Jamaica on my WhatsApp that I talk to at minimum fifty per day, and if I move ten in a month there's another third that has been added. So it's an ever-going kind of a, um, kind of a job that uh, actually I do, that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah so there's Patrick. You know, he, he sometimes hates the fact that I work so hard, but then he understands that, you know, it's, it's, what, it's a part of what keeps me going. Uh, if I was not to do this work, I don't know. I don't think I can do another job other than this job that I'm doing right now. Um, yeah. But, I, but that's it. That's the balanced part of my life. So, so Glenroy. <laughs> Big up Patrick, you know, I hope, I hope we got the people of, you know, who provide that kind of safe space for poor poor and things yes, like that. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But thank you, thank you so much, um, Gareth, for you know showing up and really having a very I, 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 this was a very fruitful conversation for me. Um and here, as I said, hearing about Gareth the person. Um, all of different dimensions and aspects of you from who was a competitive growing up coffee <laughs> about to, <laughs> to now yeah, uh, you know you're continuing uh, years of you know decades of work trying to improve the situation for LGBT Jamaicans locally and internationally. So we thank you for your contributions to the movement and we, we work to continue the legacy that you've left behind. For us to our listeners, Thank you so much for listening, you know, catching up with Fish Tea, right? If you have any feedback for us, you know where the socials are. It's at fishteapodcast at gmail.com. We know on the social, at the email, at fishteapodcast at gmail.com, but it's at fishteapodcast at Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook, you know, like, share, subscribe, rate, leave a comment, do all of them nice summary, right? The pandemic are winding down as far as me concerned, but for those that only want to take a joke, I beg you know, take a joke. Right. <laughs> um, 
you know, still social distance, wearing in a mask, wearing a can, wipe it down before I put it down a mouth, and I'm gonna stop for them something to my ears so enough to worry about them. So I feel that, and let's be clear, after the pandemic done, I must still wipe it down before I put it in on a mouth, right? I beg you now, please. It's for one, it's for one, but I'm well done again. You know, people have them kings, but I'm not a judge, but we move. You're not judging us, sir. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but as I always, always say, stay sophisticated. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>